0: This morning, our epistle lesson is found in Romans 8. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 11 together. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Let's pray. Almighty God, we do give you thanks for this portion of your scripture, which has been used in many of our lives, either to bring us to salvation or to bring us to a more secure understanding of your redemption and your goodness to us. We ask, Lord, that you would open our eyes this morning, that we would continue to see wonderful things in this portion of your scriptures. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. When I was in college, I had a particularly difficult semester my sophomore year. I was struggling personally, wondering why God felt so far away, so distant. I had finally settled into a church and I had grown close to the college pastor there. We spent regular time together that year, but the church I was attending was having unfortunate financial problems and they couldn't keep all of their pastors on staff. So my friend drew the short straw and he had to resign. So you can imagine my frustration, my loneliness. The person I felt closest to was being forced to find another job in another city. But not only that, back at home, my family was undergoing some unfortunate turmoil. One particular family, was, family member was spoiling relationships among other family members, particularly for my parents. And on top of these things, I didn't know what I was doing with my life. I wanted to have answers. I felt lost. I felt alone. And so I was growing more and more angry, more and more frustrated with the things that were going on in my life. I felt like there was a war raging inside me. Intellectually. You know, I, I could tell you all the answers. I could tell you that it w- I was supposed to trust in God. I was supposed to trust God with these things in my life, that I was to offer forgiveness to family members the same way that God had forgiven me in Christ. I was supposed to offer compassion towards my church and towards my friend. But I felt this internal tug, an internal tug towards hatred, Towards bitterness, towards hostility. And this internal conflict began to produce discouragement and even doubt. Is God real? If He is real, does He actually care about me? Does He think about me? And if this is really how I feel and I can't get over myself, am I really a Christian? I began to walk into those questions of doubt and discouragement as I was faced with the internal conflict of my own sin. And friends, all of us at times are confronted with that internal conflict, that internal struggle between our desire to obey and our propensity to disobey, and we grow discouraged. And sometimes we even begin to doubt and ask the questions of doubt. See, Paul faced that internal dynamic in himself at the end of of Romans 7. He says, I myself serve serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. He was confronted by this inner dynamic, and all of us are confronted with that dynamic in our lives as well. While we live in this life, that dynamic remains. So what do you need? What do you need in those times of discouragement and doubt when that inner conflict overtakes you and those questions that war inside is continuing to rage? Paul provides an answer here in Romans 8. He answers that difficult question. He makes a shift here from discussing his personal experience, that internal conflict, And he shifts from that to examining God's work through his spirit in the life of the Christian. Of the 29 times Paul refers to the spirit in Romans, he does so 11 times in these 11 verses. Over a third of the times he uses it, he speaks here in Romans 1 through 11. The conclusion then is that in those moments of doubt and discouragement, when you're confronted with the conflict... You need God to work through his spirit to encourage you when you struggle with sin. To support and to strengthen you. But what exactly does God do through his spirit? What does this passage tell us about what God does and how he works? And what encouragement then can we draw from it? First, we see in verses 1 through 11 that God or excuse me, 1 through 4, God liberates through his spirit. In verse 1, Paul proclaims one of the most well-known declarations of salvation. This has been used for many of us to encourage and strengthen us. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But we often forget to keep reading. He says, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Underneath this declaration of no condemnation lies the work of God to decisively liberate you. To set you free. So how does he accomplish that liberation? First he liberates you by sending his son. It says in verse 3, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Now, we've talked about the weakness of the law in previous weeks. God's law can do many things, right? It can expose sin. It can expose and reveal your need for God's grace. It can restrain your disobedience. It can even teach you how to live righteously, to lead a good life. But the one thing it cannot do is it cannot make you righteous. It cannot free you from the condemnation your sin deserves, but instead it it locks you up in bondage under the law of sin and death. So friends, God has to intervene. God has to intervene to do what the law was powerless to do to liberate you from the condemnation due for sin. And he intervenes by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin. That phrase, the likeness of sinful flesh, is a reference to the incarnation of Christ. He becomes the likeness of sinful flesh, meaning that he took to himself true humanity while still remaining sinless. The author of Hebrews says that we have a high priest who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. John says that the word became flesh, and he dwelt among us and so Jesus became fully and truly human while remaining fully and truly God and he remained fully righteous his entire life and it was for you and as this sinless God man he was sent for sin Romans 8 says this is just another way of saying that Jesus was sent as a sin offering some of you may have a footnote in your Bible that, actually, that says, or as a sin offering, could be read that way. This is a reference to Jesus' death on the cross. On the cross, Jesus became the curse for us. As Paul puts it in Galatians 3, and he took into his flesh the full weight of the condemnation for sin. The sentence of condemnation was pronounced And in his son, it was executed. And so God condemned sin in the flesh of Christ. And so there there no longer remains any condemnation for you. Because Jesus has done what the law could not do. So God liberates you by sending his son. And then secondly, he liberates you by sending his spirit. What God does in sending his spirit to dwell in you, as verse 9 says is he liberates you or he sets you free from the law of sin and death. And he does this in Christ Jesus. That phrase is particularly important. It means that the spirit of God, when he comes to dwell in you, he unites you to Christ. And by uniting you to Christ, he removes the sentence of condemnation that hung over your head because of your sin. And not only that, he also gives you the righteousness of Christ. And by applying these things to you, God did what the law was powerless to do. He liberated you from the law of sin and death and pronounced over you that there's no condemnation. Though your experience is the conflict of indwelling sin, God's reality is that the sentence and execution of condemnation has been fully met in his son. And the spirit's role is to take what's true of Jesus and to apply that to you. That's what he does. Calvin wrote this in his commentary on Romans 8. He says, the trembling conscience of the godly have an invincible fortress For they know that while they abide in Christ, they are beyond every danger of condemnation. Your invincible fortress is not your experience. Your invincible fortress is the God who works through his son and his spirit to liberate you from sin and its penalty. And all of this had the purpose In verse four, that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. You see, that brings us to our second encouragement in our conflict with sin. Verses five through 11 encourage us that the same God who liberates you from sin and its penalty, he also animates you for new life through his spirit. This is the purpose, and it's the result of liberation. You're no longer controlled by the flesh, but you're animated by the Spirit to live a new life in line with God's desires. This animating power of the Spirit has a present and a future aspect. So God's Spirit animates you in the present. He says in verse 5 that those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And then in verse 9, he says, you, however, you're not in, this, in the flesh, but you're in the Spirit. If, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, he juxtaposes two different realms of existence. One is the realm of the flesh, the unredeemed person controlled by the flesh animated by it, and then one in the spirit, the redeemed Christian, animated by the spirit. You can't be in the spirit and in the flesh at the same time is what he's encouraging you with. But the spirit animates you. When he comes to dwell in you, he actually activates you and makes obedience possible. And just like Israel was redeemed by God, freed from Egypt and animated to walk out in obedience, you too are animated to live according to the spirit. And just, but, but at the same time, just like Israel was walking in the wilderness and they would constantly look back to Egypt, we too experience that same dynamic. We've been animated by God, but we constantly look back to our sin. It's how we experience this life. We look back to our sin, but by God's grace, through the enlivening work of God's spirit, you will be able more and more to experience what Paul Paul's life and peace in verse six. This life and peace is the restoration of your humanity, the spirit enlivening you, giving you a veiled restoration of the life and the peace of the garden. We experience hostility and death because of sin, but God is in the business of reversing that. And in his spirit, he animates that reversal for you in the present. But he also animates that new life in the future. Listen to what Paul says in verses 10 and 11. He indicates that though the Spirit animates us in this life, we're still subject to the reality of bodily death. The mortality that was introduced to the world because of Adam's sin, it still remains. That's not yet been fully eradicated. But the possession of the Spirit now is God's promise to deal with the dilemma of death, You've received the deposit. You've received the deposit that guarantees new life in the future when Christ comes to make all things new. And when he does so, you too will be made new through his spirit. The same power that resurrected Christ from the dead will raise you from the dead. And it will animate your life. A new immortal Life, Friends, that's God's guarantee. It's God's guarantee in the midst of our daily internal conflict with indwelling sin. Ultimately, the indwelling spirit wins. He will take what belongs to Christ, that resurrected life of Jesus, and he will give it to you. He will make what's true of Christ true of you. The accomplishments of Christ he will offer to you. And the God whose spirit hovered over the deep, chaotic darkness of creation, who breathed life into Adam, will one day swallow up death forever. And he will breathe new, immortal life in you. That's God's guarantee. That's God's promise to you. So friends, in your struggle with sin, when you grow discouraged and you begin to doubt, stay sensitive to God's activity in your life because he's the one who works through his spirit to empower you. And the struggle itself is evidence that the spirit is actually at work. If he wasn't, there would be no struggle. And he promises to give you life in the future, to animate life in the present and life in the future. So I'll close with this. In 1940, the world was introduced to a beloved puppet named Pinocchio. The story begins in the Italian wood shop of a carpenter named Geppetto. He carves the famous puppet and Before falling asleep, he wishes upon a star that Pinocchio would become a real boy. And then that night, in the middle of the night, a blue fairy enters into the wood shop and with the wave of a wand, she brings this little toy puppet to life. And as Pinocchio realizes he's been given life, he grows ecstatic. He says, I can move. I can talk. I can walk. He gets ecstatic and excited, and he asks the fairy, am I a real boy? And the fairy's response is anticlimactic. She says, no, Pinocchio, to make Geppetto's wish come true will be entirely up to you. If you prove yourself brave, truthful, and unselfish, then someday you will be a, true, a real boy. You see, Pinocchio, while truly having received life, he still had rough edges. He still looked like a puppet. He occasionally succeeded at proving himself, but often failed miserably at proving himself to be brave, truthful, and unselfish. And, friends, that's our experience in this life. We too have been given life. The life of the Spirit has come to dwell in us. But we still remain this mixture indwelling sin and the indwelling Spirit. He's liberated you from sin and its penalty of condemnation. He's done this by applying the work of Christ to you. And He's animated your life here in the present by dwelling in you he empowers you to walk in God's ways to live in obedience in accordance with the spirit and by making you his dwelling place he guarantees that he will animate your life in the future resurrection from the dead you will someday become a real boy You will someday become truly human. But unlike Pinocchio, friends, it is not entirely up to you. It's not up to you. God is the one who works in his son and through his spirit to liberate and to animate. So friends, in those moments, when that war is raging inside of you, and you begin to grow discouraged, and you begin to doubt, remember that your security lies not in your experience, but it lies in the God who works for the salvation of his people. Trust him, take heart, for in Christ, in the spirit, and in God, you have an invincible fortress that cannot be penetrated by your experience. Let's pray. Almighty God, we do give you thanks. We give you thanks that you are gracious and merciful, that in Christ you have proven yourself to be faithful. You have won salvation for us. You condemned sin in the flesh and you've given us that declaration of freedom, freedom from sin, freedom from death, freedom from condemnation. You've liberated us, animated us to live a new life. So God, we approach your throne this morning to offer you our prayers because we know that you hear us in Christ so let's join our hearts together in silent prayer for the following concerns. Let's pray for God's saving power to be known among the nations, especially praying for our mission partners, Josh and Anna Dickinson, working with Serge in Bundabugio, Uganda. Ask God to bless Josh's work to bring clean water to the people of Uganda that many might turn and believe in Jesus Christ the fountain of living water. Let's pray for the advance of the gospel in our city, praying for our local ministry partner, First Coast Women's Services. Let's ask God to provide for all their financial needs through the Baby Bottle Campaign and pray that God would use this ministry to protect the lives of unborn children in our city. Let's pray for all in authority, especially for our governor, Ron DeSantis. Pray that he will promote justice Restrain evil and uphold integrity and truth in our state. And ask God to give him wisdom and endurance to govern well during these difficult seasons.